dude, I know you can get those type of videos on your phone. Totally. I don't know what I did before this. Yeah, it's better hope your wife never finds out. It's not a big deal. Besides, she's been kind of not fun lately. Look, she's not going to find out. It doesn't matter as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Are you serious? God never said that. Sorry, is this hurting you? <laughs> well, good morning, Adam Brooke. Hey, so great to be here with you. It's good just to be joining forces with you uh, today as a, as, as, as a church, as God's church. Uh, we're in, in a battle, I mean, against things in this world. We're in a battle against uh, spiritual powers and authorities. We're even in a battle uh, with ourselves, And so anytime we can join forces together, that is a good thing. Uh, you just saw us fighting for the family up here. Uh, friends, do we not need more of that? Yeah, I think we, we can give that uh, a round of applause. It's great to, to be able to, to, to pronounce these blessings uh, over all of these little ones. And so thank you for being a part of that. Uh, uh, if you're watching online, I want to say, hey, we're glad you're tuned in this morning as well. Uh, we are in this series right now called God Never Said That. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've, we've been looking at sort of these cultural beliefs, sometimes these things that actually get attributed to God as if God said them, and we've been seeing God, God never said many of these things. And next week, we're probably going to deal with the most controversial topic of this entire series, which is, it's not my place to judge. Did God actually say that? You're going to want to come back next week and find out. But uh, this morning, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be dealing with this topic. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, as long as you don't hurt anyone else, it doesn't really matter what you do. I, I remember uh, many years ago, one of my first jobs, I worked, I worked for Chick-fil-A. I was about 17 years old. And I was working at Chick-fil-A, working long hours, long days, got to know a lot of the coworkers. We became fast friends with many of the coworkers. And uh, one, of the, one of the gals I became friends with, her name was Margaret. She was an older, an older lady, but we became workplace buddies just because we worked these long hours together. In fact, uh, on, on my birthday, uh, Margaret gave me a, a birthday card. When I opened it up, uh, she gave me $40. <laughs> I mean, pretty generous to give, right? Like a, a coworker, uh, and she was very excited to give me that money. Well, I eventually uh, worked my way into a supervising position. I had Saturdays off at this point, and I remember one Saturday morning, I get a call from my boss saying, "I need you to come in. We need to talk." And so I go in, and he calls me back into his office. This is the owner of the Chick Fil A, and he he asks me, he looks me in the eye, and says, "Brent, have you been stealing money?" out of the register. Uh, how fast food works, uh, you have your own register that you type a code to get into, and money had been missing from my register. And I said, I, said, I, I, I have not taken any money from, from the register. And so they had cameras, and they could see what happened, and so we went to the footage, and sure enough, what we found out was that Margaret had been taking money from the register, hence why she was able to give me $40 for my birthday, okay? She wasn't as enthusiastic when she had to pay that money back. 
as she was when she gave me that money originally for my birthday. But I'll never forget what Margaret said when she got busted. She said, it's not like I hurt anyone. You know, as if it was justifiable because it's not like I hurt anyone. First off, that wasn't true. I mean, she hurt this business. She hurt the owner by stealing revenue from the business. She hurt me because I had to go in on a, on a Saturday morning and my day off and deal with all this. But I would argue that our sin always hurts other people. Uh, it might not hurt people directly, uh, as if in this case, uh, but I would argue that at least it always hurts people indirectly. Uh, for example, if you're in a family, you know this. If you have someone in your family that struggles with anger issues, and maybe they're holding on to a grudge towards somebody, you know that's going to affect your family. If you have someone in your family who's constantly on social media comparing themselves with other people and it's creating in them this envy and this jealousy towards others and that's turning into a discontent and bitter spirit, you know that's going to affect everybody in the family. See, I would argue that you might be alone when you sin, but your sin is never really alone. Your sin has ripple effects. It affects the people around you. Paul says this, this is very interesting from, from 1 Timothy uh, 4.2. He's talking about false teachers here, but what he's going to say about them can be true of any of us. He says this, he says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What Paul is saying here is that when we live in sin, it's like we burn our conscience and that conscience scars over and becomes hardened to what God wants to speak into our life, to what is right and wrong and how God wants to lead us. Do you realize that one of the primary ways God speaks to you is through your conscience? One of the primary ways God wants to lead your life and teach you about right and wrong, it's going to be through your conscience. And so if we're living in sin, we are scarring our conscience over so that our intimacy with God is going to be very small. We're not going to hear from God. And that in turn is going to affect our relationships with others. We are not going to have a good sense of what is right and wrong in a given situation. That will spill over into our relationships with others, primarily those who are closest to us. You might be alone in your sin, but your sin is never really alone. It has ripple effects. But I wouldn't just argue that your sin affects other people in your life. Your sin affects you. Paul, again, he says this in Romans 6. He says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? And he's talking to Christians here. He's talking about their past when they just lived in sin. And he's saying, what did you benefit from that, from living that way? He says, those things result in death. You realize that when our sin causes something in our life to die, it could be a relationship with somebody else. It could just be your sense of well-being or your peace. Uh, it could be trust that you have with others. Sin in our life causes something in our life to die. 
And so what, 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 what does sin look like in our life? We, we need to deal with that. We need to talk about that so that we understand these things that can be so harmful in our life. In Galatians 5, Paul gives us this list of sin. It's a pretty good list. It's not exhaustive, but let me show you some of the things he mentions in Galatians 5. He calls these the acts of the flesh. You can call them the acts of the sinful nature. It's because it comes from our sin nature. Uh, our sin nature results in these things. He mentions sexual immorality. At the very least, this is, you know, sex outside of marriage. There's sex before you're married, or if you are in a covenant with somebody else, having sex outside of that covenant. He mentions lustful pleasures. You could think here pornography. He mentions idolatry. Um, this is when we take something, anything, and it can even be a good thing, and we make it ultimate in our life. That can even be our kids. That could be our children. This is called idolatry if we make it more important than God in our life. Hatred. Some of us might be surprised that that's on this list. Just hatred, being angry. Quarreling. He mentions jealousy. He mentions envy. Fits of rage. Selfish, selfish ambition, dissension, and division. And then, and then how about this one? Just drunkenness. You know? And so Paul says these are the things that come from our... Our sin nature, these things are the result of, of, of our sin nature when we give in and live according to our sin nature. But he's going to give us another list. And this list he calls the fruits of the Spirit. It's the result that comes when you and I are connected to God. It's the result that comes when you and I are living in an intimate relationship okay, with Jesus. He mentions these things, love. I just wonder how many of us this morning just need to know how much God loves us this morning. Or maybe you have a difficult person in your life that you're struggling to get along with, and you just need more of God's love in your life so that you can love that person. I wonder if any of us need some more joy this morning. Maybe you're in a tough situation. You're going through a storm right now. God can give you a joy that goes beyond this world, that goes beyond, you know, superficial, temporary happiness. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. He can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. He can give you patience. <laughs> I just wonder if some of us have, have some kids this morning, and we need some supernatural patience in our life. Or maybe you're going through a tough situation, and you're waiting on God for a breakthrough. And you need some patience in your life. God can give that to us when we're living in an intimate relationship with him. Kindness, he mentions goodness. He mentions faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. And so Paul gives us these two lists, the, the acts of the, the flesh. Uh, he gives us uh, the fruits of the spirit. But here's what happens to so many of us. We find ourselves smack dab in the middle of these, these two things. You know, we, we, we say, God, I, I want more of your love in my life and to know your love, but I don't want to give up pornography. God, I want more joy in my life, but I want to keep sleeping around. And so you continue in that relationship, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. God, I want more of your peace in my life, and I want a healthier marriage, and I want to be a good parent who raises my kids, but I want to keep also drinking, binge drinking on, on the weekends. I mean, it's just amazing. We, we want these things over here. We want the love, the joy, and the peace. We want the fruits of the Spirit. But we find ourselves 
still living in the things over here. We find ourselves smack dab in the middle. But friends, this is the reality. The middle is an absolutely miserable place to live. If you are a Christian and you are living in the middle, you are going to be one of the most guilt-wracked people on planet Earth. You are going to have very little intimacy with your God and you are going to be trying to fight battles in your own power. Trying to live in the middle is, is the most miserable place that a Christian can live their life. And so it raises the question, how do we get out of the middle? And, and with the time we have left, I, I just want to give us two big ideas. How do you and I get out of the middle? Uh, and these are two very general ideas. So what I would encourage you, if you're in a small group, maybe talk more specifics this week. With your small group, how do you get out of the middle and how do you stay out of the middle? But here are two big uh, ideas for us. It starts with this. I've got to turn from my sin. If you've grown up in church, you've, you've probably been told this before, but you've you got, you got to turn from your sin. Uh, many years ago, Danielle and I were walking through Costco and, you know, they have those samples uh, where you can try stuff out and they had this peanut butter. So Danielle uh, tries this peanut butter. It had this raspberry like jelly in it, swirl throughout it. And she was just like, oh my goodness, this, is, this peanut butter is amazing. So she ends up buying this thing of peanut butter, two giants, you know, that came together, you know, the size of a, you know, the, the, the cap was like the size of a hubcap, you know what I mean? It's like, she brings these things home. And the next morning I wake up and I go downstairs and she and the kids have gone through like three fourths of this peanut butter. She, they've gone through like an entire loaf of bread just so they could eat this peanut butter. And as soon as I walk in, she's like, you've got to try this peanut butter. And like shoves a piece of toast in my face. As soon as I taste this raspberry jelly, I know something is wrong with it. So I go to my phone. I start doing some research. This isn't right. It just didn't taste right. Start doing some research. And I find that this raspberry jelly is made up of something called castorium. Now, I don't want to gross you out, but let me just ask this way. How many of you have a dog? Okay. If you have a dog, you probably know that there is this gland, I'll just put it this way, right under their tail, that produces some of the like, most foul-smelling secretion okay, on planet Earth. Well, apparently so do North American beavers. And I love how it's not European beavers or South American beavers. Very geographically you know, specific here. North American beavers have that same gland. And what comes out of that gland is how they make this raspberry jelly. This is what Danielle and the kids were eating. Now, did I have the heart to tell them this? You bet I did. Do you guys know what you are eating? I mean, you are eating stuff that is the secretion that comes out of a beaver underneath the tail, all right? That's the PG way I put it. They were running to the bathroom. They were running to the toilet trying to gag this stuff up. Danielle couldn't even throw it away in the garbage can in the kitchen and look at it. So she had to take it out into the garage and put it in the, 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 the garbage out in the garage. She wiped her hands from it. 
She threw it away and she turned and we've never had that peanut butter again in our house. Now, I just wonder this morning, is there something in your life that you need to throw away and that you need to turn from? Is there something, some sin in your life that you need to throw in the trash and you need to turn away from? I love what Jesus says in Luke 5. Listen to this, friends. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He's talking about those of us who are sinners and are aware of it. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they have it all together, I have come to call sinners to repentance. I love sinners, and I have come to earth to call them to repentance. This word repentance, you might want to underline that. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, and that's actually made up of two Greek words that are put together, meta, which means change, and noia, which comes from the Greek word meaning mind. It literally means it's a change of mind. It's having a change of mind about your sin, and so you turn away from it. It's the idea of repentance. I I have a change of mind about what sin is, and I turn away from it. And Jesus is saying, I came to earth so that people would have a change of mind about living in sin, and they would turn away from their sin and follow me. I sat down a couple weeks ago um, with two other people, and we were just sharing our testimony with one another. It was interesting that we all had something in common. All of us around that time where God started working in our heart, and uh, we, we, we were... We were fighting with whether to give our life to Christ and and to turn from our sin. All of us said that we had this revelation that God had something better for us. We all realized that in that moment, God had something better for us. And that is the truth. Romans 2.24, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, can't you see that God's kindness leads to repentance? That when you realize that what God has in store for you, that, 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 that what your life could look like in a relationship with God, it's the kindness of God revealing to that to us that turns us away from our sin. It's the promises that God gives us that causes us to want to throw our sin in the trash and, and turn away from it. And so when I became a Christian and I was still battling all this sin in my life, I'd come out of drug addiction, God put by his grace this hunger in my life for his word. And every day I was just pouring over God's word and reading these promises that God was giving to me. And he was giving me promises like this. And he gives you promises like this too. Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Promises like Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, do you understand what this thing he's saying? God will take your worst mistake. He can take no matter what has happened to you. He can take your worst sin and he can redeem it for a greater good in your life. (laughs) This is the promise God gives us, that he can take whatever has happened and he can redeem it. For his purpose. And then I came to Joel 2.25, which said, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. By the way, the context of this is he's talking to Israel after they have been destroyed by a foreign nation because of their sin. And he's saying, if you will repent, if you will turn from your sin, I will even make up to you the pain you have experienced because of your sin. 
Is that not a gracious God? And I was reading these promises. I was reading this. And friends, this caused me to want to turn from my sin, which brings us to, to, to the second thing we have to do. We turn from our sin, but we have to turn to something better. Got to turn to something better because this is where so many Christians go wrong. They'll say, okay, I want to throw this sin in the trash and I want to turn from it. And so we walk away from our sin, but then we find ourselves. Anybody else? Or we just rearrange our sin and we trade one sin for another sin. Um, my, I've noticed like looking out my living room window uh, over the years uh, down our street and on our sidewalk, there's, there's these people who do this really interesting thing. I don't know if you've seen this, maybe you've witnessed this, but they do this thing. They're like dressed, they wear like tight clothes. They do this. You've seen that? It's really interesting. I, apparently it's called jogging or running, <laughs> which is interesting to me because nobody's chasing them. And I read in Proverbs that the wicked run even though no one is chasing them. And so I concluded these people are wicked. But the problem is my wife is a jogger. And so this, this last summer, she said, you're going to start jogging. And the first time she took me out and I went jogging, I came back, I was cramping, my sides hurt. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. I was sore. I realized my wife is wicked, okay? She's one of these wicked joggers. But then I went out the second day, and then I went out a third day, and then I went out that entire week, and I started, and it became easier, and it got better, and now something very interesting has happened. I actually have this itch to now go jogging. Like, if you've ever experienced a runner's high, it kind of becomes contagious, and before you know it, like, you're, you're actually kind of longing to get back outside and jog. Friends... <sighs> When we come to God and we experience his goodness, when we experience what it's like to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it can become so desirable that we stop wanting to live in sin. This is why Paul says in that context of, you know, acts of the flesh, fruits of the spirit, he says this, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, if you will connect your heart with God, if you will walk in intimacy with your God, it will be so good. It will be so fulfilling. You will taste and see that this God is good. You will actually want to stop living in sin. The focus isn't on your sin. The focus is on Christ. And in that, you find yourself just naturally walking away from your sin. But the question I always get is, how, how, Pastor, how do I connect my heart to God? Like, how do I actually walk in intimacy with my God? And I can tell you a few things that we talk about all the time here. We spend time in God's Word, we pray, we're here on Sundays. But what I've also learned is that there are some unique ways that you and I connect our hearts with God. And, and it might be different for you than it is for me. We're all wired differently. And so in his book, Sacred Pathways, Gary Thomas gives some of these, these pathways that help uh, individuals to connect their heart to God. And I just want to give you five of what I think are maybe some of the more popular ones. And you can maybe pick that book up and, and, and look at the rest. But the first one I would mention is just music. 
I'm talking about like worship music, Christian music here. For some of you, your heart is going to be the fullest when you are listening to a song that points your heart to Christ. And in that moment, you just feel so close to God. In fact, uh, I was talking with Amanda Miller, our worship pastor recently, and she was telling me uh, she'd grown up in the church, but she did not give her heart to Christ. She did not surrender her life to Christ until she was working for a guy who played Christian music in the office. And But just hearing those songs spoke to her and eventually led her into a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. If this is your pathway, you better be disciplining yourself, having music, you know, KTIS, Air One, on in the radio, in your car, or at home. You've got to discipline yourself, just like a jogger, so that you can be connecting your heart with God on a regular basis. Uh, the second thing I would mention is nature. Some of you, the way you connect your heart best with God is just being out in God's creation. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation tells us about our God. I love going up to the North Shore and just standing, you know, uh, you know on, on Lake Superior and just seeing how small I am. It just reminds me of how big and how great our God is. If you are wired that way, you better be making sure you're getting outside, even in the winter, so that you can experience God through nature. Deep thought. Some of you, you were made to study deeply. And you won't be content and have an intimate relationship with God until you are reading commentaries or books that, uh, of Christians from the past who have written just deep truths. Until you're having conversations with other friends that are, that are deep in nature. This is how you connect your heart with God. Uh, I, I had a friend who battled pornography for many years. But then he started reading a systematic theology. And that systematic theology just changed his way. He just started getting so into that that he lost his desire for pornography. Some of you were wired that way. I'd mention this one, activism. Some of you are uniquely wired to be an activist, to take up a cause. You will not be content sitting around praying all day. You've got to get up and you've got to champion justice. You've got to get up and you've got to take up a cause. God has wired you to be a leader of sorts. You are, you, you are just wired to almost, you almost like a battle. You almost like a challenge. You almost welcome it into your life. That's because God has wired you to do that. And the church needs people who take up good causes for his kingdom. And then I'd mention this one, serving. Some of you are just wired to serve. Uh, I talk to people who serve here on Wednesdays in our Awana program or youth, you know, swap ministry here on Sunday. They would tell you it is the best day of their week. Just the best day of their week. Because they go home, they, they, they just from serving, they like, they feel so close to God because God used them to serve his church and to serve his kingdom. I remember one of the first churches uh, Danielle and I served in, uh, we took out the trash and we cleaned the bathrooms. That's what we did. But I remember leaving, and I remember being so excited because God used a peon like me to serve his church. He used a peon like me to live for something greater than myself. And so Danielle and I, we would go home. We'd be like on this spiritual high. We weren't always sure if it was the cleaning products or the Holy Spirit, but we just knew we felt close to God. It was better for our marriage. It was, it was better for those around us. And we just, we, we felt like we were living for something better and greater than ourself. And it's how our heart connected with our living God. And friends, when that happens, 
The power of sin wanes in your life. You know, many of us are educated about God, but I'm telling you, more than being educated about God, are you connected to your God? You know, many people talk about God today. The question is, can you walk with your God today? We know about this God. I just wonder how many of us actually know him? How many of us know this Jesus? And so, friends, if you're going to get out of the middle and experience more of this God in your life, you've got to turn from your sin and you've got to turn to something better. You've got to find your pathway so that you can connect your heart with this awesome, awesome God who is better than anything our sin promises us. And I just want to, I want to end this morning reading to you Romans 6, 1 through 4. So I just want you to listen to this. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I'm talking to you Christians this morning. Do we just keep living in sin? Because after all, God will show us grace. So do we just keep living in sin? Paul says, by no means. The, the, the better translation there, it's a lot stronger than that. It's like, heck no. It's actually even a little stronger than that. You get in trouble if you say it in church. Heck no, we don't keep living in sin just because God shows us grace. He says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Friends, let's don't forget, Jesus had to pay a price for our sin. I said earlier, our sin affects others. I said it affects us. Don't forget, Jesus had to give his life on a cross because of our Sin, it cost Jesus. He then said, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may what? Live a new life. God has called us to turn from our sin. Why? So that you and I can live a new life in his presence. Christian, do you hear me this morning? You were called to something higher. You were called to something better. You were called to something greater than your sin. You were called to live for something eternal. There are people out there who need people to love them. There are people out there who need you to point them to Jesus Christ. There are people out there who need a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like and they will see it, Christian, in you if you will turn from your sin and follow this Jesus. God has said, you are my sons, you are my daughters. Let my will as it is done in heaven be done here on earth. Amen. How is that gonna happen? It's gonna happen through you, Christian. That's gonna happen through you. Do we desire it? Do we want it? We gotta get out of the middle. We gotta turn from our sin. But friends, when we do that, we turn to something so much greater. And my prayer for all of us is that we would experience that, we would taste and see that this God is good. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you sent Jesus to call us to live for something greater than this world. I know there's some of us right now who maybe feel a little convicted or uh, 
Know there's a struggle in our life that we're dealing with. Um, I just want you to know if that's you, God, God brought you here for this very moment <laughs> this morning. And he gives us some really good news. He, he tells us in 1 John that if we will just confess our sin, he says, God is faithful and just to forgive us of every sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so maybe you just right now in this moment, as our heads are bowed and we're praying, just God, here's my struggle. Here's my sin. God, I'm sorry. Help me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that sin could be paid for. So that I could be washed clean by your blood and so I could live a new life. Because God, I want to live for your glory. I don't want to buy into the lie that this world is all we have. That this world is all there is to offer. I want to live for something greater than myself. I want to live for you. And so God, would you give me the opportunity to live a new life? Would you come down on this place right now? God, would your spirit just fall on this place right now so that we could taste and see that you are good spirit? Would you just come down right now? Land on every heart and may we open up our heart and let you in, God. I pray that when we leave here today, we feel close to you. We feel intimacy with you. And I pray that that will be our strength this week. So God, be with each and every one of us. Help us to be difference makers in this world and the relationships and in the families you've put us in so that you get glory through our lives. And this world is blessed through your challenge to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name.